Talking Tech, the Nordic View. Welcome, everyone, to the Talking Tech podcast. Um, and we've got the usual crowd here again to talk about everything VC with a Nordic flavor. So we have Ilka Kivimaki, who's partner at Maki Ventures, Ashley Lundstrom from EQT Ventures, and Jimmy Fussing Nielsen at Hardcore Capital. And this is a good time really to look back on what's been a really extraordinary year um, and to look forward a little bit as to what we can expect in 2021, uh, hopefully better times. But actually, from a from a VC point of view, I mean, 2020 was not quite as bad as we sort of expected it to be. Would that be fair to say? I mean, when we did the very first podcast, just when the pandemic was beginning to take hold, I remember we were talking a lot about kind of emergency measures and conserving capital and, you know, how would the startups uh, survive, really? And actually, how it's turned out is, you know, I was just looking at um, the, uh, you know, some of the numbers for the full year at Sifted. And sorry, I didn't introduce myself in the beginning. It's Maya Palmer from Sifted. Um, But, you know, we've been crunching some of the, you know, the, the numbers at Sifted. And, you know, it seems like we've the VC industry has ended up spending about the same amount of money. Uh, it's just maybe been distributed slightly differently. So I wonder if I could start with you, Ilka. Like, what did we get wrong when we were first looking at what was going to happen in 2020? Well, I guess that we definitely were wrong uh, uh, with the idea and the, the longer-term outlook that uh, everybody was concentrating on saving the cash in the short term in the in the March timeframe. And uh, um, well, the governmental support programs were kicking in very fast. So I think that that was, uh, uh, that was giving uh, to many companies three to six months more, more runway and uh, have been helping a lot. And uh, many, many of the companies have been able to, able to reconsider uh, or see how their businesses uh, can be operated in this new environment. And, uh, and then um, the thing that I, I, I didn't see is that uh, we have seen a lot of money, especially in the later later rounds for the companies that, uh, uh, of course, are in the in the digital sectors that are growing and uh, and are already giving up a good good proof that they have a, a good business model and uh, they they are able to well I would say that raise uh, ten million or more rounds. And, and those have been very, very, very successful for many companies. So the expectation is now super high. And but there's definitely been sort of some, uh, you know, winners and losers in this. Uh, and and so I'm, I'm I'm thinking, you know, that that clearly we've seen, you know, companies that are in the 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 wrong and the right side. Anybody who's who's kind of uh, doing anything to do with e-commerce and 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 so on, you know, obviously has had a great year. Anybody who's helping with digital transformation in any sort of format, right? Like whether it's SaaS or whether it's something to do with 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 you know digital logistics and so on. Um, but then there are those industries as well that, where we haven't seen as much, uh, you know, that have been really hard hit, uh, such as travel and leisure. So I don't know. I mean, I'm wondering whether I'm, I could turn to you, Jimmy, because you've, you know, what, what happens to some of the ones that are uh, the companies that are not doing as well uh, at the moment because of the travel restrictions and so on? And have, have those companies been able to survive this year? Yeah, Maya, I think uh, pretty much everything has been able to raise uh, in our portfolio. I'm, I'm talking, of course, mostly about our portfolio where I have more insights. 
And uh, even the ones we have a few assets in the in the travel sector, for instance, which of course, if you look at their revenues and 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 customer interaction, right, it's really been a horrific year in, in many respects. But I think they have, in in all cases, been able to fundraise also on the notion that this is going to be a bad year and probably this whatever J curve or V curve or whatever <laughs> whatever we end up talking about. Uh, come out in the other end and uh, still be a strong company. And, and I think what we probably predicted wrongly when we spoke back in, I think, March or early April was the willingness of the financial market, meaning the VCs and the growth investors to really participate despite the situation, right? And so while some companies are hit, I think in our portfolio, it's something like 80 to 85% of all portfolio companies that are either neutrally impacted by the pandemic or positively impacted. And then you have the odd 15, 20%. But despite those that are seeing severe hits on their revenues, they have been able to raise cash, which we would not have predicted when we were back in March. But are they having to raise cash really at a, a, a very heavy price? I mean, you know, at sort of distress sale kind of ways, or is there more of a kind of a view that, that this really is a temporary blip and so they're not really being sort of penalized in their, in their fundraising? Uh, in our cases, there have been no down rounds at all. And I think if you, if you look at the financial markets overall, there's been a massive sector shift away from uh, something that's black to something that's tech, Right. And that massive shift also, you see that also in, in, in our part of the market, the venture capital market. So I think we, we have just seen that, uh, pretty much no down round. And, and I think some people actually start to call that pause investing. And pause investing is where you, you, you either go with new investors in a convertible note or you go with, uh, with existing investors backed by government funding as well, right? So it's kind of, you try to extend the runway and, and so on, but you don't want to to hit off uh, on the on the valuation side. Yeah, so lots of things are really not quite as negative as as we perhaps kind of feared they would be in March. Um, but Ashley, I wonder if I can bring you in and ask you now about you know the kind of the the winners. You know, I mean, we've seen some really incredible fundraising rounds for for some of the the businesses that are really considered to be on the right side. I mean, when you see sort of Hopin raising, uh, you know, a huge round sort of only eight months after it's been launched, um, and and there are many other examples. I, I'm just wondering how sustainable some of those uh, kind of valuations and, and the kind of funding rounds are. I mean, it, was this a kind of bubble for many of them and we're going to see a return to normality in, in, in 2021? Good, good question. I think we're seeing a couple of things here at work. We're seeing some categories suddenly become very important. Um, the first one is food, and I want to come back to that because this might be the, uh, you know, if 2020 was the year we all started thinking about food, 2021 is, is maybe the year of food. Um, but the other thing at play is, of course, all the capital that's, that's uh, around. And as Jimmy pointed out, we all thought we were going to hunker down, and we did, we did quite the opposite. Um, so I think that there is capital going to some of these new and, and important categories during, um, you know, categories that are important uh, during these times, um, such as, um, you know, making uh, events, um, which would have been offline, 
now work well in, in the online world. Um, but then, of course, we all have capital to deploy and we have, uh, you know, a lot of entre entrepreneurial spirit out there um, with creative entrepreneurs addressing uh, you know, problems in, in new ways. So I think we're going to continue seeing capital go to these entrepreneurs uh, and we're going to see the round sizes uh, continue to be large uh, and continue to be uh, you know, fast and uh, how sustainable this is. I think it will probably continue for the next few years until we may uh, you know, see some, some corrections in the macro environment uh, overall. But uh, I think within the tech sphere, we're going to see this momentum continue for, for some years to come. So, you, Ashley, you don't think that, um, you know, even when we all start hopefully next year meeting in person again, you know, you don't think that some of those valuations for, say, the, the you know, the online webinar uh, companies will start to look a little bit kind of, you know, top heavy? Famous last words, but you know, to be honest, I don't think so. Um, and, and the reason I don't think so is because this this cash is going into new categories and you know up and coming categories, which have have been only accelerated by by this pandemic. But I think uh, if anybody fast forwards, they'll see that you know remote interaction is is going nowhere. Um, it, it's going to stay. Uh, it's here to stay. It will change, of course. Uh, it won't be exclusively exclusively remote. But we will continue to see remote interactions uh, as a part of our you know, work uh, and life going forward, I, I believe. So companies that are emerging now will have big roles to play going forward. Um, so I think we're not seeing spikes. We're seeing you know, new, new plateaus. And I'm gonna. I want to come back to your predictions about food in just a moment, um, because I think that would be fascinating. But I think I, I just you, you mentioned macroeconomic factors, and I, I think I wanted to just pick up on that before we move on, um, and 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 maybe bring Ilka in here as well. Um, you know, in terms of, you know, we've seen these huge, um, huge cash outflows from governments, you know, helping kind of keep everything very buoyant. But I'm just, again, if you're looking at this from a VC point of view and, and thinking about what's going to happen as those that spending starts to taper off and and what other kind of macroeconomic factors are you sort of watching really uh to help you make the, the the investment decisions. So if I can if I can ask you to sort of comment on that and then Well I, I think that, that still like for the next two years I guess that it's party on. And uh well like a few days ago uh, or was it yesterday the US was uh, releasing the nine hundred billion US support package to the companies and uh I don't think that that's the last one. Uh Europe is just uh planning on now putting out the seven hundred and fifty billion package so uh there is a flush of money in the markets i think that that's a two there is two sides to it because now now i think that the market is really looking looking good that there is a lot of money but then underneath there is a lot of lot of weakness also in in many sectors and i think that it's we we are seeing some failures also there because not every everyone and every corner will be will not be doing well and uh, uh well when I said party on, I think that the next word is a polarization. That uh, the the really big hits are getting getting bigger, and there will be a really really big follow on rounds for the for the companies that are scaling. And uh, um, I would certainly hope that uh, by the by the back end of the year we would be back to more normal, and and we we all could see each other as investors and uh, uh, parts of the community at slush in the fall. 
And and Ilka, just to keep you on that topic, but I just, you know, again, as a VC, I mean, does it muddy the waters when you have all this kind of government funding coming in? I mean, there was a lot of criticism that, as you've alluded to, you know, some weaker businesses are perhaps being kept alive. You know, this does it make it difficult for you to make the sort of the right decisions and what you're backing? Well, like uh, at Maki, Maki, we are very early stage. So uh, for, for us, it's not that visible. Uh, in in a sense that we are going in very early, but I think that there is a, uh, if you are looking some of the deep tech programs, for example, in Europe, where there is a lot of money going into maybe not so readily ready companies that uh, have the business side very fuzzy, but have a lot of technology. I think that in that side there might be big hassle cooking, but it still takes a few years to to see what's coming out. Okay, so maybe in a couple of years' time, there's a sort of there's some fallout, but that'll take us a little while to, to to get there. I'm also curious, and maybe this is where you know, Jimmy, you've got some thoughts. But you know, as Ilka mentioned, you know, there's this polarization. You know, it's easy to get follow-on rounds, and one of the the things that struck me when I was looking at the kind of figures for the year is that with you know the VC industry overall has spent around the same amount of money, but much fewer rounds, right? So it's it's kind of, you know, the, uh, the, the, the follow-on rounds for the known scale-ups has been kind of easy to get. But what, what's happening with smaller companies, you know, the really young early stage companies? And Ilka, you might want to come back on this as well, because you fund really early stage. But I'm just curious also to, you know, if, if Jimmy's got a view on, is it really hard to get around now if you're, if you're tiny and, and you're not an established entrepreneur with a track record no i think uh, contrary to all predictions uh, i think it has not been uh, that hard i mean i'm of course sympathize with a lot of people struggling a lot and, and so on so not trying to haggle on anyone but i think overall i'm surprised how easy it has been overall uh, when we look at i can only look from my own cockpit right um so when I look at our own portfolio companies, I think everybody, pretty much everybody have been able to raise and, and, and also the early stage, uh, segment have, of course, in amounts, it's, uh, it's gone up in round size also in the earlier stages, but it's skewed by the fact that the late stage is like exploding in, in round sizes. So of course, uh, everything equal, it's still smaller part of the market, but I think there's been a lot of seed investing. With, you know, five, seven million euro rounds and, and, and stuff like that. So contrary to what I would have expected, right? I think for someone that benefits from the pandemic, like we discussed, uh, online penetration and stuff like that, uh, which is all time high in Europe, uh, people that are benefiting from that, they, they seem to be able to raise also at the earlier stages, right? So I, I really don't think there's a, a bias in the market per se. So, so are even the seed rounds bigger than than you would have expected? Absolutely, seed rounds are a lot bigger than they were uh, a year back or even uh, before the pandemic. So, I think overall, all round sizes have gone up. I think overall, the market have probably done more seed investing than Series A. I think Series A have been covered mostly by internal rounds, and we'll see a spree of Series A's coming to market here in, in 2021, I forecast. Um, but uh, but I think the, the averages of the round sizes across the board have been up. Okay. I want to take a kind of straw poll. So I'm going to go to Ilka and then to Ashley as well. Is this what you're seeing in your portfolio uh, as well, Ilka? I mean, you guys specialize in the really early stage stuff. so Pretty pretty much the same. And I, I think that the uh, um, what's also the 
there is that uh, uh, there is the massive expectation is is loaded in the companies when the values are up and the run sizes are up. So that's now remains to be seen. Then that the, you, the companies really need to perform twenty one and twenty two. And uh, what Jimmy was saying about the uh, uh, A rounds, I think that uh, there uh, in in many companies there are uh, kind of a seed extensions and uh, uh, kind of a smaller rounds have been done. But now it's really the question of how the companies can execute and uh, do they have attraction and are they are they then getting a, a really good A rounds? So I think that that's also like Jimmy said, that's the theme for for twenty one. Okay. And then Ashley, is is this also true for you, you know, even the small guys? Exactly. I can I can speak from the perspective of the the larger multi-stage fund. Um we and other large multi-stage funds are actually participating in the seed uh sphere uh as as Jimmy and Ilka, um can can vouch for. Um we are seeing like I mentioned before, you know, experienced entrepreneurs coming out of the woodworks with very um very inspiring ideas and these are the types of entrepreneurs that that any investor is is excited to back. And so you see multi-stage funds uh, acting at seed and given the you know the amount of capital that that uh, you know funds of our size have um and the the stakes for us you know, we are more keen to invest slightly larger checks uh, and then make sure that we would get in at that stage um, versus having the smaller smaller check size. That comes a lot to to the fund dynamics that we would we would have, um, and also that we that we frankly can. Uh, and then what that does is is you know dilute the the number of seed rounds uh, overall uh, across the market. The the interesting thing here as well is that you know we are happy to equip these founders with a little bit more capital uh, because these are these are uncertain times and no one wants to have a company that's that's going to be starving or needing to go out raising uh, in in the very short term, especially from a large fund. Um, but uh, from I think all the investors' perspective, everyone is happy to capitalize these seed funds, um, these seed rounds uh, now. Yeah, and then that same feeling that then they are they are going to be under pressure to deliver. Maya, sorry, if I can just add one thing, uh, catering to this, we also see a lot of multi-stage fund in seed, and in fact, uh, before the year end, we will have been doing twelve new investments. I'm no, only talking about new investment activity, and normally for us, that's a fifty-fifty between seed and Series A, and this year, ten is seed and two is A. Wow. Okay, so a really big shift. This has also been the, the year of, of seed for, for us. <laughs> Talking about kind of shifting, uh, you know, investment style, I want to I dive a little bit more deeply into this. It's even your own sort of personal way of working has obviously had to change a lot this year. I mean, nobody's been able to kind of go out and, and do those face-to-face meetings. And one thing that people were saying to me early on this year as well, I'm happy to invest in the companies that I already know, the founders that I've already sort of, uh, you know, really trust and we've had beers together. But what about new investments? Um, and so staying with you, Ashley, I mean, how do you feel about kind of remotely investing in a company that you've you've maybe never been able to meet in in, in the flesh? Yeah, so I can speak firsthand because we've we've done that uh, during this year and it's been a very exciting and new experience for for all of us. The The biggest challenge is building trust. Uh, of course, quickly, um, but in general, building trust without, uh, you know, without the the, the standard uh, interactions that, that you would expect. Uh, so there, we've been creative, uh, and, and we have a lot more work to to do on that front. 
um, trying to get to know each other in different ways, different constellations, um, and on different levels, not just professional, but, but personal levels. Um, and the, the tricky part is actually dedicating time to that. Uh, so you have a sort of a Zoom session where one of the uh, agenda points is getting to know each other personally. <laughs> so do, do you have, do you have any... But, uh, <laughs> but then yes. you do it. What's your, what's your best tip for how to do that? Because it is a really awkward situation. You know, we've been all been on those awkward Zoom calls where you don't really know what to say. Well, I think the first the first and most important tip is that you actually need to plan for it. Um, it doesn't happen spontaneously because you don't take that walk from the office to the restaurant um, where you more naturally have this conversation. So the first tip is actually, you know, you have to you have to plan for it. You have to actually book time, allocate time for like. At this, during this time, we're going to get to know each other personally. And then we're not going to talk about, you know, professional things. We're maybe going to talk about our hobbies uh, or our passions or, or whatever. Um, we've done some different experiments at EQT Ventures uh, where we, for example, have asked team members to you know, present themselves in pictures. Uh, and then you know, our respective teams gets a few minutes to, to tell about themselves and you know, what they do in their in their non non working hours, <laughs> okay. just to sort of dedicate time to getting people excited, uh, um, uh, and then you know yeah. letting those conversations. And and how did you feel then in terms of making you because you made the investment and it seems to be going okay. But I mean, it, it, is it something that you kind of would you want to keep working this way or do you think you'd be very happy to go back to the old style if, as soon as you can? Yeah, very, very happy to go back to, to meeting people uh, as soon as we can, uh, for sure. But I think not not necessarily a full pendulum swing back. Uh, I think we're, we are, you know, we're all getting better and better and more and more creative and efficient, uh, I would like to add, uh, on meeting each other remotely. So that will continue um, and then we'll have more precious time together uh, in real life going forward. And Ilka, I think you've had some interesting sort of experiments as well with with this in terms of trying to to, to bring some new technologies in. Um, what was this? You were telling me about this this kind of you know VR board meetings. Yeah, well, we've been um, trialing out and actually have having having a practice now to have a virtual reality board meetings. And uh, um, there we have the portfolio company called Glue Works. And uh, they they are doing the stuff, and I, I must say that uh, kind of when trying out the different things and different ways to to collaborate, uh, that's that's definitely a good experience, and actually um, much more engaging than you would think that uh, you are meeting meeting people in virtual reality. Um, funnily enough, uh, even those from those avatars, you can easily easily pick uh, uh, the different habits of people when some people are wandering around in the in the room and some people are very very uh, uh, stable in the room and and also one thing that uh, I feel that has been interesting is that in many many board meetings actually not all the people are concentrating on the meetings while they are uh, tapping their phones or whatnot but when you are in the in the virtual world, you really have to concentrate, which means also that actually you can keep the faster pace and uh, people are much more engaged if you if you are kind of a keeping the pace up. So I, I recommend that for for everyone to to try out. It's it's good. It's not yeah. the only way that you should go, but uh, it's it's very refreshing. Do you think some elements of that then might stay? I mean, that we'll maybe have a kind of fifty fifty in the future. And well, definitely, we we we're going to be. Keeping that as a, as a part of the uh, uh, with with some companies uh, for for everyone it maybe might not work but uh, <laughs> I think that maybe looking at one one uh, third of the meetings would be in a VR one face to face and maybe the last third in a, in a Zoom or Teams that's 
it's actually in the virtual reality, it's really engaging to present new things there because everybody is very present, even you are remote. So it, it's it's really good. Yeah, we might become much better at kind of picking the kind of meeting we have for the for the type of content that's going to be presented, the kind of situation, you know. So, um, so that's an interesting thought for the for the future. So definitely still worth investing in those VR companies then. But let me go to Jimmy. What, what, what's, what's your feeling? Do you think remote investing works uh, for, for you at all? Or uh, are you just looking forward to kind of hopping on a plane again soon? I am, but that's for travel. <laughs> um, I would say I, I would just think two things. One, building trust early stage, getting to know people, making a new investment is kind of one uh, part of the job. And then there's the continuous work over the years of value add and board interaction and so on. And I think the latter, I think we will, we will be, we will be see increasing productivity from either VR or Zoom or whatever. I think we'll continue not to travel to all board meetings and so on. Whereas for new investment goals, I think it's fine when you make early stage seed investing. But if you start to make real ticket investing, I think you really want to understand who you are backing and what the team is and what the founders are and what they stand for. Because at the at the initial investment, that's kind of make or break in, in the investment decision, right? And I think you do it now with the early stage tickets. I sincerely doubt that you would continue to do that when the tickets become relevant in size compared to the fund size. I really doubt that. And I think the only result that I expect will be happening is that I think VCs themselves will also atomize. So they will build out distributed teams across relevant sourcing hubs going forward. So I think... Like our own investments are distributed teams, given the pandemic, I think VCs will become very distributed. We are already very distributed, but I think most will follow. Yeah. Actually, that's what I heard from a lot of VCs this year when I was asking how they were coping with with the travel restrictions. You know, a lot of them who had teams in, in, in many different geographies said, you know, it's fine because we've, we've, you know, we have someone in almost every country where we want to be investing. So, you know, we can do those meetings. Yeah, in hardcore, we have Paris, Berlin, Copenhagen, and US, right? So already, maybe that's not enough for Europe either, right? So we may need to even think about the UK or other places. So now I think we need to go to, this is the really fun part, because we're going to do the predictions for sort of 2021. Now, I mean, I think 2020 has sort of taught me that it's kind of useless to make predictions because it's been such an unprecedented year. I think after this, everyone's really scared to to uh, forecast anything because you can be really wrong. But I think we should still try. And uh, so I I want to go to to each of you now. And I think I will. I'm going to start with Ashley because you've tantalized us with this uh, the the year of food idea. So uh, please explain why why is this going to be the year of food next year? So I guess we can all um, relate, you know, back to basics, right? We eat how many times a day? I eat uh, more times than I want to admit uh, during <laughs> during the course of a day. Uh, and we are increasingly serving ourselves uh, as we're eating from home. And then on the other hand, we have restaurants, uh, you know, looking for, for uh, new models. And then we have entrepreneurs who are looking at this uh, basically perfect storm to create uh, new businesses. So we're seeing food pop up everywhere from you know, food delivery, uh, rolling out to markets that haven't had uh, food delivery uh, before. Uh, we are seeing um, companies form around these food delivery networks. Uh, so you know, all of these uh, versions of, of dark kitchens and, and there are multiple models within there. 
And we're seeing grocery delivery uh, in different formats. So the everything from sort of the, the weekly shopping to the, the last minute um, you know, items. Uh, and, and then uh, the most exciting category maybe is that, you know, sort of new, completely new categories of food, um, you know, meatless, uh, meatless chicken and, and uh uh, non-dairy cheese and all sorts of cool stuff like that. So across the entire spectrum, uh, food is very much in our face as consumers. Uh, it's very much disrupted uh, from the pandemic, from the sort of commercial side, uh, and and it's a it's a constant uh, problem. It's something we have to address every single time um, we we are hungry. So uh, f- you know, food is an exciting uh, exciting category that we're looking very much uh, into during the next uh, year. We've been investing in in it. Uh, during 2020, and I think we'll see huge activity in, in 21. Uh, I know we are already seeing it uh, in, the, in the funding sphere. Yeah. Uh, so it'll be fun to see those companies uh, start serving the markets. Yeah, it does seem like there's quite a lot of things, like certainly some of the things that a couple of years ago when we were talking about kind of lab-grown meat, for example, and it was just outlandishly expensive, but now we're actually starting to see sort of facilities being built out, which makes it feasible that you can put this in every supermarket within people's budget. I think that that really moves the the needle. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what we'll what we'll get out with that. Um, but do you think, Ashley, do you think there's kind of appetite for people to be really um, experimental in those ways? I mean, that for me has always been an open question. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the that's the thing that I think uh, we're seeing from this pandemic, right? Like as as it continues, people's habits are are uh, are changing, right? Your tolerance and your your willingness to experiment as a private person are 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 expanding um, because you're, you know, you're under a, a different set of circumstances. You know, if you're cooking your own lunch every single day uh, for day in and day out, uh, you may be more keen to experiment on, on day 100 than you were on day you know, 10. Uh, and and they, that experimentation comes, you know, in the sense of you know ordering from a from a from a dark kitchen with a, a new online delivery method to you know experimenting with uh, you know, lab grown meat. All right. No, I I can see the the logic in that. So okay. So that'd be fun to look uh, look out for. Um, I'm going to go to to Ilka now. What what do you think? What's your sort of bold prediction for for 2021? What's what's on your investment agenda? Looking looking at the themes, I think I I very much uh, um, second to Ashley. I would I would actually maybe pinpoint it even more that at least what we are seeing the alternate proteins is is really something that. Uh, is high on the list that uh, the cow and chicken based food system what we have I think that there is a lot of disruption to be made and 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 the market is huge uh, so so that one we have something already in the works there and actually I need to contact you Ashley on one specific case after this oh you heard it here first on the talking tech podcast <laughs> the uh, uh I think that uh, uh, continuing on the sustainability side, uh, the plastic plastic replacement. I think that the sustainability in general, if if you're thinking food also as as materials, I think that the food and and the materials side uh, in the sustainability side, that has gotten a massive jolt now, and uh, there is a lot of movement, and uh, most of the companies, if not everyone are seeking the more sustainable ways to produce their products and uh, uh, to find the re- um, materials that are are more sustainable. So I think that there is in the background a crazy shift. Uh, then I think that the, the more, more boring ones or kind of a, uh, evident ones are, are definitely the direct-to-consumer brands. I think that that's something that's just continues going. 
and then then for some reason i i have the feeling that uh, actually the fintech stuff is is really uh, starting to actually accelerate in still in the europe when the psd2 and all of that stuff even though it came came into force already a long time ago but now now it's actually going into real life and uh, banks and the companies are starting to implement a lot of the things so okay. there is a lot of happening but uh, talking about the bold stuff i think that i don't know if it's 21 but uh, um i i'm actually expecting now a lot of companies that are are hitting the 500 million valuation landmark and then a billion billion landmark i think that uh, in the nordics on the gaming side we have been very there we have seen a lot of companies that are, are making it up over and over again but uh, uh also that uh, we we are actually seeing it uh, in many more areas and that we are we are starting to constantly produce the big big winners so i think that that's something that uh, they're looking looking five years back or ten years back there was just kind of a single point but i think that now there will be a uh, many many success stories uh, very big success stories every year and that's really really great to see yeah it's interesting it used to be that you know we we could count the sort of european unicorns really with you know one hand and 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 now we're sort of losing track i mean it's that's the, the most positive problem that i i predict that we are losing track of the unicorns and uh, then you were ask, also asking that what's out there well thing that the most most outlandish one that uh, um it's not the prediction but it was a company that they were they were planning to uh build solar plan uh solar solar panels in the moon so they they are just re, uh planning to colonize the the moon and the mars so i think that that's that's definitely out there and uh, okay. sp- space is actually it's getting super interesting also because the launch costs for for satellites and for all the materials are going so fast down so there is super super interesting things happening yeah i think it does open up a lot of possibilities because i mean one of the things i've always you know we um again in europe we feel like we're sort of a little bit behind in terms of the the space tech because we don't do the sort of really big launches of humans into orbit but uh but there's all this other parts of of space tech like something like you mentioned you know solar panels on the on the moon or or other parts of sort of communications technologies and what do we do with all those satellite images when they come back to earth and 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 all those things i where i think actually there's quite a big role for for europe to play there is a lot lot of things there and uh, europe actually has a uh like in uh, uh, Nordics, there is a lot, and uh, uh, seems like uh, Germany. Germany is also uh, ramping up fast. That there is really interesting stuff cooking there. Okay, all right, I, I like that though. Solar panels on the moon and other space tech to watch out for. So, turning to to Jimmy, what are what are your sort of um, maybe more uh, easy to spot trends, and then your really outlandish ones for next year? Um, well, uh, some of them are already taken. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm so happy uh, about the three categories that Ashley man- mentioned in food because we are invested in all of them. <laughs> Maybe Ashley even knows that. Uh, but um, no, I think uh, food uh, definitely, I mean, the pandemic and so on is just accelerating. And I think my my main prediction for, for 21 is kind of more of the same. So we saw an acceleration of the online penetration, which most of the things we invest in caters to online penetration in some regard. and. I mean, I think we started prior pandemic online penetration in Europe was around, I think, 9%. 
and it was only 5% of consumer spend, which is 10.6 trillion a year in Europe. What we saw now, uh, actually, I saw the late November number. The estimation is that we have a 15% penetration rate, which is what we would have forecast happening, you know, four years from now, which happened in nine months, right? So nine months, we saw the same penetration increase in percentage points as we have seen in the last seven years. China was at 25 pre-pandemic. Europe is now around 15. And we just see an acceleration of that online trend. And we saw a step function. Now we are just another level. So everything that battles online with consumers, whether that is your insurance product or your food delivery or what, whatever it is, uh, that, that will, that will just take market share away from, from existing players and open new market opportunity. So from a VC perspective, there's a lot of movement and it's a lot faster movement than what we saw in the past. So I think that would be, uh, that would definitely be what we would be seeing across the board. And, and food, of course, is the, one of the clear winners, uh, uh, of the pandemic. Space, we, we are a consumer investor, but we have one space investment, which is Orbex, uh, which is a satellite launch. And what we see there, uh, just catering to that is we will see Europe try to catch up on technology supremacy. And I think there was a quote by Macron uh, on an Atomico session. Uh, they have this European uh, state of tech or whatever they call it. And there Macron's quote was, and I really, that, that's for me the quote of the year. He said, in the US, you have GAFA. So that's Google, Apple, Facebook, and Amazon. In China, they have BatX, which is uh, Baidu, uh, Alibaba, Tencent, and Xiaomi. And then in Europe, we have GDPR. <laughs> and you know it's kind of quite telling <laughs> that that's kind of what we have and i think geopolitical tension is the thing that even vcs will have to watch out for in 2021 and i think this is big and coming supply chains in china try to backsource are you dependent on china outrage about doing things in regimes trade with regimes that you know the community does not like there will be outrage and geopolitical tension left, right, and center. And it will impact investment activity in 2021, would be my prediction. And Europe will invest heavily in getting back into play. And I think space is one of them. Yeah. But Jimmy, do you think that, that Europe really can kind of catch up? Because I think sometimes the criticism that's leveled is that, you know, we're very good at saying no and trying to regulate things. But, you know, the uh, the better way to compete would just be to have our own alternatives. Um, and but I mean, you know, going to Ilka's point, we are creating some of these kind of you know five hundred million, one billion, you know, valuation companies. I think we will, but we won't see them in the existing competitive environment, like in social networks or in the Google sphere or Amazon sphere. I think we'll see them in new domains where we'll hit hard. And I think everything related to green investing and sustainability, I think Europe will invest way more than the other markets, maybe with the exception of China. And, and I think we'll see a lot of activity also from consumer perspectives move towards sustainable action. And I think that's our chance. And I think we will take it. And I think you already set aside a, a trillion euros <laughs> for the endeavor, right? So, so I think we will invest big time this time around. Yeah. I mean, actually, what a great prospect that would be if there was a huge geopolitical race to be the, the, the biggest green tech investor, right? Like, this would be fantastic. I think that's the hope. And hope is green. 
Well, I mean, I think on that note, we, you know, that probably makes us look forward to, to 2021 and beyond with a little bit more optimism. I mean, certainly 2020 from an investor point of view has turned out to be less bad. I think just kind of summing up what we've spoken about, you know, we're still we're still supporting companies. There's a huge amount of money. Um, there are inspiring ideas. So it feels like we're sort of in that part of the industry that's trying to look forward and be hopeful and 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 so on. So amidst, you know, what is really and and we can't forget it has been a year of of tremendous and heartbreaking loss for a lot of people and hardship and people's loss of jobs and 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 I'm not when I say 2021 turned out better than we thought I don't want to be making light of that but what I am trying to say is that you know we're in we're all involved in that part of the industry that tries to look forward that tries to come up with solutions that tries to sort of improve people's lives and I think that's what's been quite nice about working in this industry in this year um and that has all kind of really moved forward but um, you know, again, as Ashley said, I think Ilka said, Jimmy, you've said in different ways. I mean, that you know, all of these companies are under tremendous pressure to to show that they can deliver on those promises that we're sort of investing in them, both in a financial sense and in a metaphysical sense of our our hopes. So they have to kind of come good, I think, in 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 twenty twenty one and 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 beyond. Well, I think that kind of brings us probably to a point at which we're running out of time. So I have to say thank you again for sharing your thoughts, and I hope that we're pick this up again next year to kind of see how how we're getting to a start um, and whether some of these things that we've talked about today do actually start to pan out. Um, so I'm going to thank all the panelists, Ilka Kivimaki at Mackie Ventures, Ashley Lundstrom at EQT Ventures, and Jimmy Fissing nielsen at Hardcore Capital. And I've been your host, Maya Palmer, the Innovation Editor at Sifted. Talking Tech, The Nordic View.